now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from Glass to Gold to Cheese in Between. The movies are B, but the entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Jacknetti, and I'm joined once again by my name, Mr. Al Jacknetti. Hey, Jay. How's it going today? Good. Hey, today we have the last four Darkroom episodes that uh, were written but not shot for the original TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're called Nightmares, and that's what we're going to be reviewing today. And we'll get to it right after this. Somewhere between the real and the unreal. According to the legend, das Teufel Nagetier cannot be destroyed. Between the world of daylight and the dark of night. I am the Bishop of Battle. Master of all I survey. Between the peaceful sleep of dreams and the endless sleep of death lies the realm of nightmares. film opens that you've never heard of and that you will never forget. Nightmares is this year's sleeper. Nightmares, the actual film Nightmares, was released September 9th, 1983 with a 99-minute running time, a budget of about $6 million, and a box office of about $6 million, $6 million. million. So there is some, I don't want to say controversy about what these actually are. They 
we know there were four episodes of The Dark Room that were not filmed. There were four scripts that some had deemed too violent for television. Some had deemed just not filmed because they didn't get to them. Some had deemed may have been better than what they filmed for some of them. Um, but what happened was there is definitely four scripts here. And the four scripts um, were in 1980, I want to say in, in late 82, so early 83, they had decided they wanted to do an anthology series. Well, NBC or ABC sold it to NBC and whatever had these four scripts. And those four scripts were going to become nightmares. This is the four scripts we have here. They had filmed this originally in TV scope. They, well, they, they started filming it that way. And they said, well, maybe we should film it wide and then cut it back to TV scope. So when you look at the um, Blu-ray disc, you can watch it as either as if it was made for television in the rate aspect for television, or you can watch it in the, uh, the, the R-rated, well, both of the R-rated. They don't have any uncut R-rated. Yeah. Originally, uh, the idea was that these were not hard, hard enough to be an R. And none of them by themselves stand alone as being hard enough conceptually to be an R-rated movie. Uh, but what they did was they turned the blood up, the violence, and did that stuff. And they made them into an, a, a four-part anthology and gave it a theatrical release. The other idea, though, was that this was going to be part of a new anthology series. And this was going to be the two-hour pilot and then lead into that. Now, we know after 1984, we eventually would get the return of the Twilight Zone mm -hmm. on CBS. We would get amazing stories. We would have anthologies that would eventually come out um, because that became, again, another viable option. Every week you don't have to have, it's not monster, it's not Kolchek Monster of the Week. Right. It's a different thing, um, which I think, and that's one of the, again, as a huge fan of Kolchak, it is ultimately what killed Kolchak off as a series because there's only, I mean, some are really good and some are like, okay, now we're getting a little thin. I mean, you'd have to go back to Sumerian, yeah. Egyptian. But they, they, they do that already. They already go in the yeah. yeah, right. So, and that's part of the problem. So, um, so Nightmares itself as the anthology film was directed by uh, Joseph Sargent. Now, Joseph Sargent across oh, yeah. uh, um, taking a pillow one, two, three, yeah. right? And, you know, yeah, no joke as a, um, and White Lightning uh, with, with uh, Burt Lancaster, Burt Reynolds, uh, Burt Reynolds excuse me. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously, he won uh, uh, four Emmy Awards over his career as well. Um, he, he later he passed away in, 20, in 2014. Um, so it's not like they went and just got some nobody. They went and got an actual director. And they and $6 million in 1980s money, for, money. You know, decent money, especially yeah. when they thought originally this you, might be a TV movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so there are uh, your writers here. Jeff Jeffrey Bloom gets credit for stories one, two, and three. And of course, um, Christopher Crowe gets credit for story number four. Uh, and obviously, um, your Christopher Crowe actually wound up being the producer on this as well. Uh, so, and <clears throat> you will you'll notice as we go through the stories, there are going to be some names you'll recognize. Very young at this time, right? Right. I mean, like Emilio Estevez is here; he's super young, and like there, and even um, like uh, what's her name? Uh, like Lance Henderson hadn't. This is pre Aliens. You know, Lance Hendrickson had been an actor in. Um, well, um, yeah, well, Aliens is he was. Well, he this is pre-Aliens. Pre yeah, it's pre-Aliens. Right. Alien he's in Aliens. He's not an alien. Nancy yeah. Cartwright's in this. She's an alien. Right. And of course, um, what's his name? Uh, Rich, um, Richard Mauser. Mazer. Right. He's from The Thing, right? I mean, they, they, so they're not like they went and got 
major A-list stars, but people you would know. And Lance Henderson had been in a number of movies, but he hadn't, you know, kind of become Lance Henderson. Wait, when, when was Pumpkinhead made? 88, 89, way later, way later. Yeah. yeah. Lance Henderson already had been established at that point. Um, so, uh, your, uh, again, Universal Pictures own this and they distributed as well. Um, and they are the ones who put all this together. Okay. So let's go, let's start story. Number one, story. Number one is called Terra in Topanga, right? Uh, Terra in Topanga is the, so we, that's, that's, it says like, what story one, and then it gives you the title, right? It's not like there's, there's no wraparound. Right. So there is no wraparound Tales from the Crypt Vault of Horror story. Right. Like, right. like, like, like you would like have. James Coburn did. Exactly. Yeah. So you, but you could see James Coburn like introducing this. Me. Like this, you, 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 each one of them, as you, as you think about it, if you look thought about how the dark room would happen, there's a perfect place for him to have his little wry smile right. and little dig and whatever right. as he introduced each one of them. All right. So um, Terror and Topanga, that's story number one. So during a routine traffic stop one night, a highway patrolman is viciously, viciously stabbed multiple times by an unseen assailant, and the perpetrator is identified by various TV and uh, re uh, news reports to be William H. Glazer, a uh, murderous escapee of a mental institution who is currently terrorizing the Topanga area. Meanwhile, Lisa, who is a housewife and a, a heavy chain smoker, like oh. I, I, I know. I literally, as soon as it started, I go, my dad's going to hate this because she does nothing but smoke. Yeah. Notice, though, she's got the cigarette in her mouth. I don't know if it's ever lit, oh, more, yeah. but not much. No, Most no, no. of it's not lit. Most yeah. of it's just in her mouth. Yeah, I know that bothers you, but like still. Yeah, I, I, but at least she wasn't blowing smoke I, the whole time. I, 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 a cigarette dangling from a, a, woman, a, a pretty woman's mouth is just not... Not appetizing, let's say it's it's kind of disgusting. Yeah. But again, if you have the if you have that addiction, um, yeah, there's not. I mean, just like anything else, you you must have it. That's exactly, uh, you know, the common sense is not her best suit. Right. But because she, she's got to have the cigarettes, right? So uh, so Lisa discovers that she's out of cigarettes, prompting her to rush to the store to buy more. Her husband Philip forbids her from leaving the house at such a late hour, especially with a killer on the loose and advises her to kick the habit instead. Despite this, she writes Philip a note and sneaks out to the, in the car. Now the, I know this is the early eighties, but man, these cars in this, like the, they, they are just boats. Everything's yeah, a oh, boat, yeah. right? The seventies was the, the late, this is, these are all late seventies cars in these movies, but, folks. Not so much. These, this was the, like, was she driving a big station wagon. Yeah. But I'm saying every car in this thing is a giant boat. No yeah. one is driving. No one is driving like a like a real sporty no, no, car, no, right? They are well, just beaters. And yeah, well, there's cars in, in in all of them. Yeah, what, what the, the two police cars look like. Oh, they're yeah, yeah, but they're but they're very old school yeah. police cars. Yeah, but she is she is so addicted to the cigarettes that she doesn't, and, and it comes back to haunt her. Yeah, she doesn't realize that there's very little gas in the car. Right. Well, yes, we're getting to that, right? Yeah. So during her drive, she's listening to the radio warnings about residents about Glazer before she is startled by a hitchhiker and she almost gets in a car accident. She reaches the store, buys the groceries and the cigarettes, and during her drive home, discovers she's almost out of gas and that every single local gas station is closed, right? right? Now, there is so much traffic. You're they're showing a lot of cars. There's tons of gas stations. Not one is open. And it's one of those things that, like, I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously that could be real. Nowadays, gas stations tend to be open 24 hours because, you know, you, you want to make money, right? 
Um, she pulls into the only one that's there and it's really out of the way. And the attendant who approaches um, her, you know, appear at least to what she's hearing matches Glazier's description. Yeah. So she's very nervous to open her window. Um, so she becomes alarmed that when she, she, the attendant comes up to her window and uh, he fills it up and then he smashes the window out and she's screaming. Oh my God. He's dragging her out of the car and she drags her out of the car and he puts her to the ground. He grabs the gun that he has sitting there as Glazier gets out of the backseat with the knife and he blows him away. And the twist is every, I, I know, I know what they're setting you up for. Like, Oh, well he clearly is the killer and he's yeah. going to do these, going to rape her and he's going to do these things. But being as cynical as I am, I was like, there's no way he's the killer, right? You know, she could be the killer for all I know before it's this guy, right? Um, and he actually shoots Glazer, revealing that he was hiding in the backseat the whole time. Here's the kicker. We know he has to be in the backseat because when she goes to the car, when she went to get the cigarette, she comes out, the car's not locked. She gets in an unlocked car. That's how addicted she was. She never even yeah. locks her car when she goes gets the the the, the juice the, the milk and the carton of cigarettes uh you know now, now for for those of you who who watch this you 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 might recognize the attendant uh in in the movie blade runner yep. he is the um he is the i guess the i want to say the um the guy who runs the hotel yeah that, that, yeah kind of yeah and he's he's around. He's a very good character actor, but that's who that's who it is. And when I first saw it, I said, "Oh, he's got a this is this is a nice part." Right. Yeah. And again, they went and got somebody you recognize. Blade Runner is eighty two, yep. right? And it's right there. Uh, later, the police drive her uh, Lisa back to her house, um, and Philip goes asks her, "Did she get her cigarettes?" And she throws she throws the pack in the garbage. Yeah. You know, like that's right. gonna sound. She'll be yeah. back outside smoking exactly. them later anyway. Exactly um, I, I threw them in the garbage, and she's outside puffing away. Who knows? Uh, because now she's, you know, I have to, because I was almost murdered by a killer and saved by the gas station. Attendant. I like this one. Uh, you know, I think this, as, as if this was an episode of dark room, yeah. it would have been good. Yeah. Cause it's not that long. I mean, yeah. Of all the four here. This is the short the shortest one, yeah. but it's, we're not talking, you know, three minutes like some of them. Yeah. But, but, this would have made a good episode of dark yeah. room. Um, and, and you know, you don't really have any sympathy for her. No, no, all. no. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't have sympathy for her. It's like she's literally setting herself up to get killed. And you know, the thing is, the husband was the first to admonish her for going. And then the um the the guy at the at the uh convenience at, store. At the convenience store, he admonishes her for being out alone. And uh, he said, Well, I've got and she says, Well, what about you? You're here all night. And he pulls out a gun and says, I've got protection. Right. So, you know, and she's like, oh, I don't like guns. Okay, I don't like, okay. like, but it's, she's so obsessed with what's happening. And I, I, I think the, the, I, and not, again, anyone who said that these were, these stories were too dark for television. That's not too dark for no. anything. There's nothing here. I mean, even back then, it wouldn't have been they would have had to have cut the blood when, 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 no, when, when the police officer is stabbed, right. he stabbed multiple times. He runs his hand down the, 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 antenna. the antenna and the antenna whips blood back and forth. Right. That would have been out but what are we talking about 10 seconds of film right. um it's a good story i think it's better than some of the ones the dark room used but again there's neither here nor there this happens to be the first yeah. story here well you know this could this this could have been you know when, when they were doing when they would do stories here if this was supposed to be a long series you didn't do all of them you, you would do some of them and then then, then they more, would be released and then you, you'd go yep, back and redo yep. the next and next. At, by 
maybe the, the fourth episode, right after the Vietnam one, there might have been a hue and cry that says, hey, the ratings are going down. Yeah. And with all of the uh, uh, emotion that was generated by that, that third episode, you know, maybe now the producers are saying, hey, may, maybe we don't want to pay for the last four, four episodes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Again, at this point, when you think about it, the, the four episodes would have given them 10 weeks. And as a fill-in, as a fill-in... After- 10 to 11, yeah, it depends. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. you might have had a little bumper episodes with yeah. them. Because you, you, each one of these could have been a full episode so, right, with yeah, a bump. With a bumper. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so that makes a lot of sense that these yeah. things were, you know, would have been the normal... Finish uh, out the rest of the cycle. Season. Right, exactly. Because yeah. remember, this was a mid-season replacement. All right, so the second story up is The Bishop of Battle. Now, this is Emilio Estevez in literally, like, I don't know if he can even shave at this point. Right. He is so young, but you 100% recognize him. The second he's on the screen, you're like, that's Emilio Estevez, yeah. right? I mean, and he's, you know, however you might feel about, you know, him as an actor later on in his career, this is super, super young, 1983, like, Brat Pack, like, that early right. kind of yeah. stuff, right? And he plays J.J. Cooney, who's an immensely talented video game player um, and an, an, an uh, arcade game hustler. Um, along with his friend Zach uh, Maxwell. And um, the two of them head into the inner city arcade to challenge a gang of, um, um, they, they're all Hispanic. Everyone in the whole place right. is Hispanic. Except everybody's him. wearing a bandana. Yeah, it, it's, or, it, or, or, it, so, okay, so it's it, they're in LA, because you, yeah. or you can tell that, well, or Oakland. Oh. Oakland, LA, it's hard to tell exactly, because on the bus is the Raiders logo. Like, it's right. clearly shot in somewhere in the LA, Oakland, whatever area. That would be like you. He's on the wrong side of the tracks. But but I'm saying is I don't know exactly where it was filmed at. I can't say this was filmed in L.A. I can't say this was filmed in Burbank. I can't say you know. But the whole point is this. This is they're clearly on the other side of the tracks where they don't belong. Um, And after um, playing a few rounds and losing a dollar per game. Uh, JJ suckers him into betting $25 against his $25. Um, and as obviously he now, he, cause he's been, you know, throwing the games. This is, this is the old throw the games, the pool and you know, whatever it's, it's an old, it's a very old, uh, you know, conceit. Um, you know, JJ and Zach run out of the arcade and they go back to their, their local shopping mall, which is clearly in suburbia. Suburbia. Yeah. Yeah. There's no more, more right. Kind of thing. Um, and then, so what happens is JJ is now obsessed with beating the Bishop of Battle, which is a notoriously difficult video game with 13 levels. And no one supposedly has ever gotten to the 13th level. Most people feel the 13th level doesn't even exist. But he gets there and he's, and he goes in and he gets all the way to the end of the 12th and dies. And he's like, everyone's, oh, and, and it's weird because if you never have been to an arcade back in the day, you would never understand why people would watch you play an arcade mm-hmm. game. But then remember that literally you have an entire generation of children who watch people play video games on YouTube. Don't play the video game. Watch people on YouTube play it. Yeah. Not you're there with the guy. Yeah. You're watching some guy play it somewhere yeah. else. I mean, you guys, you guys used to play that. You know, go to, we would, no, we would go to the arcade and play. But yeah. I'm saying, but if, but if someone got on a machine and they were rocking a machine, yeah. we had been there. Luke and I have been there when someone's rocking a machine. You're like, this guy's going to break all the records. You want to see someone... Destroy the record, break yeah. the all-time high. What was what was the machine that, that for whatever reason 
I wound up being the, what, the third highest one. Thunderblade. Thunderblade. But yeah, that could be in hundred the actual days. helicopter. So yeah. that in the actual helicopter, dad was dynamite. You take Thunderblade and put it not in the helicopter, you couldn't do it. <laughs> right? And 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 at the time it was Thunderblade was the big one. But then the new one came out was Afterburner. And you yeah, were actually in the cockpit and it turned. And if you didn't know what you were doing, you turned it too fast, you could fall out of the cockpit, yeah. which was which was embarrassing. Um, anyway, so where are we here? So he's going to try to beat this, get to 13th level. Zach uh, mentions how no one's ever met, made it to the 13th level. And JJ says he's convinced the 13th level is real. And he heard that some player actually reached it in New Jersey. After the argument with uh, about JJ's obsession, the video game, um, he's obsessed with this game. So in the first episode, we see a woman who is so obsessed with, like, you know, she's addicted to smoking that she nearly gets right. herself killed. Here, the addiction is right. he's addicted to this game. I, that's exactly what I wrote. I said these two have a link. Yeah, it's called addiction. Yeah, it's a, the addiction link, and 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 I I think that would have been really good. See, television in the eighty. And remember, you got to remember in the eighties, you know, people you didn't openly talk about people being addicted to like cocaine or things like that. that wasn't like a thing until the later eighties. But someone being chain smoking or an alcoholic right. or addicted to video games that was safe enough to have on television. Like you could have that in a thing and not be like, Oh my God, it's so taboo. But people think like addicted to video games, that can't happen. Oh my God, can it happen? We literally live nowadays. It's so easy to see. And people are blind. You know, that people can't see the forest through the trees. The, the screen addiction that, that exists in this world right now is so rampant and so deadly that people don't even understand it. In 1982, 83, like, like what, what screen addiction? I mean, people yeah. were addicted, like, and I don't mean addicted, like to the point, like, I mean, mm. no one would have understood that you would literally have in your hand, a computer strong enough that would have put men on the moon. Right. But, hey, but we, I mean, we wound up, the first thing we, we ever bought was pump and we were fascinated yeah. by the fact that there was this ball going back and forth right. and you're almost mesmerized by it. Right. And then as the, 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 the graphics got better and things got better. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have, you guys had all those games. And, and but, but, okay, but, but, but neither when Luke nor I sat there and played them all 24 hours a day right. because we had, you know, we, we did sports and did other things. But if this was what you were into, yeah. and, I mean, I had friends who played Nintendo would go home and just play Nintendo. And they were, they would Jones for it. Like it's, it becomes part of who you are. And it's addiction is, is a much bigger, bigger, broader topic than bots, bugs, yeah. and babes can cover. But what I'm saying is, it's it's I love that there was that connection between these two stories. Yeah. Um in even subtle, but it's still there. Yeah. Now what thing with uh, with JJ is that his his obsession with this is is manifested by the the earphones that he puts on his head and this thriving music. Yeah. Right? And there's there's an old saying that you know, music soothes the savage beast. And at that point he actually becomes yeah, he, he's getting into the machine. He's, right. he's he gets in the zone, yeah. and so what winds up happening is that uh, you get to the point where um, he's so obsessed that the owner has to throw him out. Right? He's throwing him out, kind of thing. Uh, so and then, yeah, and then he go, when he's when he's home, his parents are constantly. You got well, his work. grades are horrible. His grades are horrible, and his father is his father is is, is telling him you're grounded, you're grounded, grounded. And he becomes a rebel with a cause. Yeah, I've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go break, beat this tonight. So he sneaks out, breaks in, and now he's going to beat the 13th level. So, of course, he gets, he breaks into the arcade and he gets now to the 13th level. What happens? The entire machine starts rocking and rolling. And you're like, and he's like, what's going on? And the machine falls apart. Yeah. And you're like, 
okay, this is weird. And what happens is now the machine comes alive. And I'm like, what a great idea. This is literally now the, the understand, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are going to say, but the graphics look so horrible. Oh, it's 1983. Oh, I thought they were, they were pretty good. Right, but I'm saying, but, but 1983 couldn't well, because people are like, that's not really good CGI. There is no CGI in 1983. This is literally a video game that someone posted on top yeah. of a screen. Like, it looks what the game looks like. Yeah, I mean, unless they were practical effects. Which they weren't. Yeah. Okay. So the practical effects in the scene is you have the the whatever moving and then the the laser blows something up, right? And he's got a gun and he's shooting a laser. Like some people remember that. Some people always are like, well, you know, Tron did this. Go back and watch the original Tron. Yeah. Go back and watch. And and I know some of you were like, Jake, you can't badmouth Tron. Wait, here it comes. The the original Tron. Go watch the original and then watch the new Tron. Right, I know. Right, yeah. then watch what the like the new the, the, re, the Tron Legacy and whatever. Yeah. They are not the same freaking movie. They're not even close. The original Tron looks like this, and yeah, that's exactly. Disney. That's Walt Disney, Disney pouring how many millions of dollars into this movie? Oh, think about the uh, um, the, the, uh, the the black hole. Black hole. The black hole has all the 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 lasers being shot at yeah. each other, and it's the exact same. Effect. Right. Exactly. So anyone who's who complains about this scene, go back and watch Tron and don't and take your rose-colored glasses off and understand that like you're watching the same thing. And tr- at the time, remember, Tron was not successful. Right. Right? Tron was a bomb. And now you all love it, which is cool, and you can all send your hate mail to me. Right. But it in, in reality is Tron was not this groundbreaking whatever. Okay. They thought it was going to be. Well, they really thought Black Hole might hit too. And Black Hole didn't hit. I know Luke loves Black Hole, that kind of thing. But to be very honest, Disney did not hit on those movies. Now, had Tron had been, had Tron been the next Star Wars, we wouldn't have to wait 30 years, 40 years for the next Tron movie. One of the major problems with Disney at this time was that Walt Disney had died a few years before. And so his vision for what needed to be, uh, you know, that he wanted to see what would have seen on the screen yeah. was was passed down to other people, and they they lost their way. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's get off the chart. Yeah, okay. Anyway. So so now now they're alive, and now he's 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 battling them in the arcade. So now he's shooting at them. And he escapes the arcade, and he thinks he's going to get away, and he's running up the um, the, the parking garage. Parking garage. Right. And what happens now? The Bishop of Battle comes there, and he doesn't have the gun anymore, and the Bishop of Battle overtakes him and consumes him. So then, so now the next day they're looking for him. No one can find him. He's not at home. They get to the arcade and the arcade is trashed. But there's the Bishop of Battle rebuilt. And in the game is JJ standing there going, I'm the Bishop of Battle. And Zoic goes, JJ, you're in the, oh my God, you're in the game. Like what a great ending. Yep. What a great ending. That would have got people on. T- if that was a TV episode, that would have got everybody. Because they're thinking, oh, he's going to beat the game. It's good. This is going to be more upbeat. That's not a very upbeat ending. He loses. Yeah. Right? He won, but yet he lost. He became the Bishop of Battle. That's his reward for getting to level 13, was to become the Bishop of Battle. So JJ, who was so obsessed with this game, who is so, it becomes his life. It's now his life. He's now there. And the the mother's shocked and the dad's shocked and whatever. I thought, what a great twist. That is very much in the vein of, now, again, you could see James Colbert at the end be like, well, 
He got what he wanted. You know, kind of, like, you know, kind of thing. Well, you know, and the, the uh, um, when he when he sneaks back into the into the game room, yeah, there's a there's a very quick shot of the posters that are on the wall. And no, 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 and it, that's in his room. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, his room. That's right. It's in his room. So before he goes back, and it's in his room, and it's a it's a character called uh, uh, Joe Fly, and it's his brother. It's Charlie it's Sheen. Charlie yeah, Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, remember, Dad? They, you know, those guys were all the young hot actors in Hollywood, right? Yeah. And if you could put a little nod here, nod there, it's like it's like in Night of the Creeps when 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 he's crawling out of the when in, in this the bathroom scene, and it says. Go uh, Monster Squad because they got greenlit for Monster Squad. It's on the bathroom wall. Yeah, no one knows it's there. I know it's there. I love that part, yeah. and it's such a cool little inside yeah. joke, you know. Remember that their father is Martin Sheen, who yeah. is now is a, is is an A list actor. Well, of course, but I'm saying is, but yes, but I'm saying is, but you know, uh, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen were young act okay. oncoming actors, and then they became stars and everything, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And whatever else you might feel about either one of those people, that's your opinion. It's fine. The third story might be the harshest story of them all. Yeah. It's called The Benediction, right? And that's the one that stars um, Lance Henderson mm -hmm. as Father Frank McLeod, a Catholic priest who's, um, who, a Catholic who's lost his faith. This might be the harshest, again, I say the harshest of the stories, only because this is really dealing with now not addiction, but loss of faith. Right. And this one might have been a little hard for television Again, early 80s, nothing here is, oh my God, but it's like a priest who lost his way, right? And what happens is, obviously, that's kind of touchy to some people and some people couldn't care less and whatever, but Lance Hendrickson brings so much. I know some people like, like well, Lance Hendrickson's a great actor, great, but at this point, no one knew him. He was in, was he in... He was in, he was in, um, Omen part two, right? Is it Omen part two he's in or Omen part three? Part, part two, what? where, where they're at the military academy, where Damien is older and at the that's military academy. Three. That's no, that's two. Three is final conflict. No, no, two. Damien's still a little. No, that's at the military oh, academy. Okay. Part three is where Damien is now oh. Sam Neill and he's yeah, trying to take over yeah. the world. Yeah. Right. So Lance Henderson, I'm almost 100% sure he's he's in there. And people knew him from that. He was in some other stuff. Again, he was in The Terminator a, a year or so later or whatever. It's, no one's doubting his acting. But Lance Henderson brings a seriousness and a um, a level of professionalism to every role he takes. Even in his like lesser parts, everything he does, you don't doubt that he's who he is. You know, sometimes you look at a character yeah. actor and you're like, okay, that guy's pretty good, but like, I'm, you know, Lance Henderson comes on the screen. Even if you say, oh, that's the guy from this or that's the guy from that, he's that guy. He is this priest yeah. who has lost yeah. his faith. And you believe he's lost his faith. Like, the, just every, when you're watching this, you're like, this is a guy who doesn't believe in God anymore. And he sells it. I thought it was, you know, um, the, the, some of the imagery. With the him feeding the when in the dream when he's feeding the the the, the deer and, and the, the, the the rattlesnake the, kills the, the deer, deer and he then kills the rattlesnake and he's the idea of throwing away Satan but then Satan disappears. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's the symbol, I don't know the, if this is going to work on television. The symbolism, I mean, but it was it, deep, much deeper. I mean, if you're if you're watching it and 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 and, and that doesn't strike you immediately, uh, you, you you can just gloss over this and it's okay. So he's lost his faith and, and he and then he. He want he he wants to quit. He wants to quit his parish because he he doesn't have the 
the desire to to to, to see the suffering that's that's going on right in front of him. But we but the thing is we don't know at this point yet what that is. So we then right. the next thing is now there's a funeral happening right. for a child, and you're like, well, what happened to the kid? Like they don't tell you. Yeah. And just and later on, you when we get it in the, in the, in the flashback, and what happens is obviously he's there and he's lost his faith. So his eulogy is that he is now in a better place. What? Yeah. Like, like, like needle on the record kind of thing, you know, it's, but it's, it's it 100% tracks with exactly what you're getting out of Lance Henderson's, his performance. He never wavers. He never, you're never like, maybe he believes. No, he's like, I don't believe anymore. I just don't. And then he's going to pack the car up and he's going to drive off. And we learn as he's driving in his flashbacks that the child is shot in a convenience store holdup. They shot the kid in a convenience store holdup. And he tells the the the, the other priest, uh, Luis, tells him they want the last rites. And he goes, get an ambulance, like save this child's mm-hmm. life. And as he's trying to give the child, you know, you know he's trying to give him CPR or you know, get his heart started again. The child dies in his arms. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose your faith. Like this is this is exact. See, if you had known that in the very beginning of this story, I don't think it works as well. Right. I think it works better here, halfway through the story, revealing why he loses his faith, why he tells them. I'm assuming it's the Monsignor or the or the bishop. bishop excuse me, the bishop, right? Why he loses his faith? That he, how can I believe in a how can I believe in a devil if there's no God and if there's no God how can I believe in a God that lets a child die that, for no reason and that's what makes the dream sequence oh my God yeah makes the dream yeah work. yeah and it's you know, all the these child, things the child is the, is the little the, the, the doe and it's killed and by the viper and it's like it's like yes there's symbolism and there's stuff here this isn't just this is much deeper than you know, anthology of the week kind of thing going here. Someone said, hey, let's turn this down. I'm not saying this was the original story and maybe they tweaked it. Yeah. But then again, and this was um, Jeffrey Bloom getting credit for the tweaks. It, it's his story. This one really packs more of a punch. Now, the, the, the idea of the addiction and the whatever, this one is the one I said is the hardest one of the, the four to watch. Right. And and yet the the story from from uh, once, he, once he decides to leave becomes... Uh, almost like a, a a rerun of duel after yeah. duel. Right. Um, the the devil the devil is a Chevy pickup truck. It's a black Chevy pickup, pickup truck. truck. And sure enough, what's hanging from the the rear the rearview mirror is an upside down cross. Right. Well, they ha- I think they had to put that in because they had done so much symbolism up to this point. Yeah. You needed a little road sign, Dad. Yeah. I'm just saying is, but and and and, and the nice part is, duel was still fresh enough in people's minds. Where people are like I know duel like they, that duel, some people by now maybe have forgotten it. But Richard Mathis wrote duel, and mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg made duel. I mean, kind of thing the movie, right? So, but it's still fresh enough in people's minds where they're like, I know this, what this is. I know what this is happening. But it's not just the duel; it's also the car, the 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 car, the the demon possessed car yeah. with, with that old movie from the seventies where it can't go into the graveyard because it's hollow ground. Mm-hmm. But what happens? The truck at one point bursts out of the ground, and now he's chasing him. And the and the you never see who's driving the car. There's never some twirly mustache guy. It's just blacked out windows and blacked out. Everything's black, and it's just trying to kill him. And what happens is the car wrecks and whatever. And he he he's laying on the side of the road. And as the truck is going to kill him, he must realize that okay, that I'm giving myself over to God. He gives himself back to God, and. He, and 
the the girls the uh, the, 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 the canteen the, of, of, of holy, holy water. water adam he's like fine i that's it you want this let's go and what happens he gives himself back to god he finds his faith again and the devil's gone yep. and now they said there's no tracks you must have fallen asleep at the wheel and we'll take you to this hospital no no take me back to my parish they need me right and that's why I mean this was this was the hardest one of all of them because this one isn't just black and white or good, you know just good and evil it could be but it's layers and I think Lance Hendrickson brings a lot to this because he he is on the screen well, most almost the, the entire, entire thing time. right yeah. I mean he's the main character here I mean and they're at a point where it's just a black truck his beat up car and him that's all that's on the screen um, again really really I think really a good story uh, by way of um, you know, giving you something maybe you weren't expecting after the first two, right? Right, and then the third story, which of course uh, Christopher Crowe gets credit for the, the writing of the third story, uh, fourth story, excuse me, fourth right. story, is called Night of the Rat, and this one is one hundred percent like this is Twilight Zone. Oh. This is this is um um like uh, what's what's the other? Oh, I'm trying to remember the old um Raw Doll one. Like this is this is this is very this is very much anthology TV. Right. right. This is the one that if you're going to do one of them, this is the anthology TV one. Yeah. And this has shown up in other places like this idea. Oh, of, yeah. it, it's not a, it's not a new idea. But Night of the Rat is literally I'm like, this is the one that, you know, was like, hey, I got this idea. I, this is an Alfred Hitchcock presents. Exactly. This is a this is a, the, you know, kind yeah, of thing like that. The tension builds. Uh, yeah. Progressively. Yeah. It go and it, it's and it's the way to do it in most in most. Uh, of these type of even regular movies yeah. is that you know some some of the things is you show the monster right away and then you don't bring him on back again for right. at least maybe 20% of the movie yeah. this one here all you have is the idea of something right yeah and then it builds and builds and builds yeah so in this one um you have Claire who's played by uh, Nancy Cartwright of course from and Alien Veronica Veronica Cartwright, Cartwright not Nancy Cartwright excuse me Veronica Cartwright Cartwright from Alien and her how and Richard um Mazer who is from the thing he uh you know uh, and, and then their little daughter who's on and you know whatever her name I forgot her name right um, but she's really cute yeah but she's a little cute blonde girl she's like she's like the poltergeist girl it fits perfectly in there um so during the stormy night clear hears scur scurrying in the attic in the walls and she believes that there's rats the next morning her husband Stephen discovers that claire has been looking for an exterminator and because she thinks the whole house is infested he comes across as an absolute jerk right. the entire time he's supposed to be though and his whole thing is that he's like there are people who do things and people who don't and i'm a doer and i'm like ugh, like you know in the thing, like he's, I mean, he obviously, he, we all know he's takes care of the dogs oh. and whatever kind of thing. And it's like, okay, like, you know, and he winds up being human. Like he turns out not to be infected. It's just who he is. But here you get much more of him talking. Like there's not a lot of like, you know, it's not like, you know, we, we had in Carpenter's the thing. Um, so he sets some traps and that night they trap a rat. They, they kill a rat. She makes them throw the rat in the garbage and he thinks it's all over. Right. So as he throws the rat out, meanwhile, the family cat, Rosie, gets her way into the, the house's crawl space yeah. and meets her untimely demise by some shadowy creature which rips her to shreds. Two, two, two red, red eyes. eyes. Two red eyes, right? Um, so the next day, the daughter, um, uh, Brooke, 
that's the, the daughter's name in here, discovers that Rosie's missing, becomes worried. The mom's like, don't worry. She's probably just out doing whatever. She would never go out and do these things. And it's it's like, okay. But while this is happening, you can, you hear things in the wall, like things are moving in the cabinets. Like clearly things are off in the house, but Stephen doesn't want to hear it. It's like, okay, maybe there's another rat. I'll set another trap. It's no big deal. Right. Um, later that day, uh, Brooke comes home to discover that her entire room is decimated. Right. So the mom's home doing her thing and they were clearing out the, the clog in the sink and the whatever. And it's rat. It's all this rat hair in the sink. But then they come on and, and now the room is decimated. Right. And the only thing that survives is the the toy, the uh, toy, toy the rat stuffed doll. rat mom right. doll. Right. right. Um, and then they're, and the lights are flickering. It's getting things are getting chewed through the wall. It's 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 like, OK. It's chaos is happening. It's nonstop. Yeah. It just keeps going. But it went from it went from a normal everyday house, nothing wrong, and literally within less than an overnight, it's right. now giant holes in the wall. There's right. things that are getting ripped apart. Right. And the father who 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 says, I can do all of this stuff. Yeah. Is now he's he's doubting his uh, he he well, his ego is being threatened because he, he doesn't have control. Things are happening that that are that he he has now he has no idea. So what does he do? He goes and gets a shotgun. Well, okay, wait, we got to get oh, there. Go on, that's right. So she calls the exterminator. exterminator. The exterminator oh, right. comes in, and the exterminator um, is, uh, you know, it's Mel, whatever was it, Kepper? That is Kepper, right? Kepper, right? Well, not Kepper, Mel Kepper, right? Yeah. And he comes in, and he's not like some. He, Stephen thinks he's some swindler, okay. but he's actually. Um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm there's. The implication is that he's from like old world Germany oh, yeah. and or Europe at that point. And he's talking about, well, I have seen rats as big as dogs and as small as whatever. I never doubt what a rat can do. And he's talking about, and he's looking at what he's seeing and he goes back and he looks at an old text talking about the devil rat. Yeah. And that's or the devil road. And that's where I say the father uh, throws him he, out. He, yeah. he just, we don't need your services. Yeah. You know, how much do I owe you? Right. Nothing. Right. Other than leave. Yeah. So the whole idea is that he calls them and tells them this and Steven gets mad and hangs up the phone, but he's trying to warn them that this is not just a rat. Right, this is some, this mythical, is some mythical creature, creature that you have now somehow angered and that this creature would wreak revenge on anyone who has wronged it. And Steven doesn't believe him because uh, I'm a man of the world. I know what's happening. I don't need this in my life. Um, and so now this is when literally the house starts coming apart at the hinges it, it, the, the rat almost kills the daughter by dropping the, the china closet mm -hmm. on her. It's tearing apart the walls. It's ripping apart the electrical. And now he's got, he doesn't get the shotgun, the shotgun, right? So he thinks he's shot it. He thinks he's blown it away through the cabinet. And what happens is it's in the ceiling. And now he's up in the attic with the shotgun. And the wife goes up and they lock, it traps them in the attic. And now it has the daughter. So, and I know. Some of you are going to say, Jay, I can see the mat lines. This looks atrocious. This looks oh. horrible. Please, folks. Like, this is, this is, Luke has made this argument constantly with kaiju. Kaiju, in general, look to be representations of what they are. They yeah. don't have to be the most super realistic, like, as if it's really in front of you. They are there to represent what's there. The, to do a stop motion rat yeah. or to do a giant puppet rat. Would be really yeah, not what, the best idea. Yeah, you the, needed to do superimposed. Yeah, this needed to be food of the gods. Food of the gods. Yeah. I mean, they're the, the 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 rat that the rat that you see in the bedroom. 
uh, on top, looking like it's it's sitting on or laying on top of the the bed yeah, where yeah. the girl is. That's a real rat that's superimposed right. on the on yeah. the on the screen. The creature is, uh, you know, well, the creature's physical effects physical in the walls effect, and whatever yeah. kind of thing. But I'm saying is, but but people will complain that the rat looks well. It's it's it's, it's a fake rat. I mean, it's, it's a rat, but it's like looks so fake. It's representing the idea of this mythical creature, right? Would it have been really cool if the budget was, I don't know, $12 million and it had been like Rob Bottin making some amazing The Thing rat? Yeah, but guess what? The budget was $6 million and this might have been a TV pilot. And yeah, it was, and there's four right. shows. And there's there. four of them. Like, calm it down, yeah. right? So anyway, but it represents it well. And it look again, it, it, as soon as I always see it, I think, oh my God, I'm, and I love Food of the Gods. Food of the Gods, I love that movie. I know some people don't, but I do. And I'm like, this is so Food of the Gods. And it is so Food of the Gods. It is so much that idea. And then Food of the Gods, obviously, is the idea of the them growing big from eating things. This is now a devil. Like, this is now a demon rat. And all the, and the rat, of course, now is able to communicate with the daughter. It says she just wants her baby back. And he goes and gets the dead carcass right. out of the garbage and gives the carcass back to the rat, who then is mourning the loss of its child. It's howling, destroying the house, but it takes the baby and leaves. And out of all the endings that could have happened there, I bet a lot of people didn't bet they're going to leave it alone. I thought they might have killed the guy. Um, some people probably rooting for him to get killed. Well, but see, um, and a lot of and look, and when when you have a child that is threatened, yeah, and a lot of especially women, it's well, yeah, they, especially they, yeah. They, I mean, the, the angst is good. Yeah. And, but, but the thing is, and every turn, all Steven's trying to do is shoot the dang thing. And she goes, you can't shoot it. You can't kill it. You'll kill our daughter. And it's like, he's so blinded by, by not being able to control the situation. And again, each one of these stories, there's the addictions in the first ones. There's the loss of faith. There's the blind rage and not seeing what's not seeing the two feet in front of your face. These stories again are so much deeper. Than we got at the very end of the dark room episodes. Yeah. And part of me, again, like you said, ratings were down, whatever might have happened, they cancel it, whether they whether they tweak these stories and whatever, but who knows, right? All, all that is conjecture because no one seems to be able to agree 100 percent that yes, these were all the exact same stories, or that they were tweaked, or that they were this. All we know is there were four stories they didn't use. There are four stories here, they have always been tied together how those stories originally looked in 1981, 82 or 82, 83 when they wrote them and how they look in 80, 82, 83, 84 in this area, 83, who knows? But what we got here, if this was, if this was going to be the, the cap tonight, if this, if they had done not night galaxy, if they had done dark room okay. with little wraparounds with James Colburn on each one of these, this would have been a nice bow to be the, the end movie right. on this. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a really good movie. I mean, I for an anthology, I, I like anthology. I, but I, like, you know, I, I think, like we said in a previous episode, previous uh, episode, that you it's very difficult to find the the dark room uh, uh, episodes. Yeah. You, know, you have to go to some yeah, internet. Ar yeah, Archive.org. Yeah, this one here is available, and it is. This is one of those that it's like if you wanted to see. Um, creep show where they have the anthology through, or the uh, the ones with the uh, the five hammer ones 
with the, the okay. Well, no, they're amicus, they're not hammer. Um, so tales from the crypt from and vault of horror, those are amicus. Those yeah. are outstanding. Yeah. Though I mean, but those are available. But those are really like this bar. But then you also have Doctor Terry's house, Doctor Terry's house of horrors, which is what I mean. Which is yeah, but amicus made a whole slew of those. Yeah. Those are and those really set the bar high. Yeah. Because each one of those were mini movies. Each one of those could have been a movie itself. Right. But instead of being a 60 minute movie, they made them a like 30 minute short and they punch. Right. And they punch hard. The, the anthology idea, the I, anthologies in general often suffer from there's really one good one, there's some bad mm-hmm. ones, whatever. And it happens here, even though the critics panned this, this got panned. Man. They said it's unimaginative. This is not real. I'm like, I don't know what they wanted because I'm looking at this now. And I understand we're, we're 40 years later, right? Kind of thing. I'm looking at it now going, these are still poignant today. Right. So what were they looking for? Were you looking for a lot of nudity? Were you looking for like, because they weren't, because that's not what critics wanted. Did you want more violence? Because they didn't want that. Did you want more swearing? They didn't want that. What did you want? Like, did you want each one of them to have a $6 million budget itself. So each one was just the most amazing, but you didn't like that either because guess what else they panned in 1982? John Carpenter's The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing was hated upon release and it took people time to watch it and say, wait a minute, why are we hating this thing? It has a killer score. It's got killer acting. The effects are beyond anything you had seen. And people are like, Wait, why did we hate this? Well, no. Why? You know why they hated it? Because Roger Ebert and and Gene Siskel Siskel said, it sucks. It's It's the most disgusting movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's, that that goes back. And that, that goes back to the, to the last, one of the last episodes of that, of the, of the dark room where the critic. Critic hates it. Right. Exactly. But see what I'm saying? That's what people, like people had to go and rediscover things. This is a movie that now sci-fi channel used to show that, when it was actually just sci-fi back in the night, Siffy, right? Then it was sci-fi. They would show nightmares. This is a movie they can show because when you watch, it is R, technically, right? But I'm watching this now in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they cut commercials in, but what's in here to cut out? There's no nudity. There's no sex. There's, I don't think there's a curse word in the whole thing. No. It's just, there's a little bit, there's violence. And on TV in America, violence is okay. Right, it's not a problem. We can show you violence. We can show you people get hacked to bits. So there's nothing to cut. So they love a movie like this. Ninety nine minute running time yeah, fits really well in a two hour time slot. Yeah. You know, you don't have to cut much. The credits get sped up real quick. That's five minutes. You know, they would show this movie. So I had seen this movie actually before I ever saw Darkroom. I had never seen an episode of Darkroom, but I had saw Nightmares, and I'd always heard that it was the last four episodes of this TV series called Darkroom. So when and when I was in college. And dark, or I was in grad school. It's like around 2000. Dark, they said, we're dark room. I'm like, whoa, I got to watch these because this is what nightmares is based yeah. on. And I never saw dark room in order. I saw dark room out of order because I had to make sure because they showed it and they re- with only seven episodes. They could loop it for two, three, four because it's Monday, all the way through every day. They would show an episode. They would loop it for a couple weeks. And I was like, oh, these remind me of Hammer House of Horror. Their anthology that is was kind of lost for a while. They're not bloody. They're not gory. There's twist stories. Some are better than others, whatever. There's no reason that a movie like Nightmares can't be rediscovered, as, especially if you like anthologies. And I'm a big fan of anthologies. I've made that very clear. In fact, 
when you go listen, if you haven't listened to the vault episode where we covered Tales from the Hood, and I don't know if you've ever seen Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood was the Tales from the Crypt that they made, obviously talking about uh, it's um, executive produced by Spike Lee. And like, like, I mean, it's super into the idea of the that culture. When we reviewed that, um, you know, I mean, Luke and I have championed that movie for years, but, uh, you know, Chris and Chris had never seen it. They said, oh my God, how good is this? And I'm like, right. But people write it off because like, oh, it's just some stupid horror movie. That movie is political. That movie's yeah. poignant. That, and it still happens today. There are things here. Now, I'm not saying this is the most political, whatever kind of thing, but there's still themes in these th- stories that are prevalent today. And when you go back and rediscover these things, this is 40 years old. This is 40 years old, this thing. You can go and say, oh, okay, yeah. He's addicted to this video game. Screen addiction is one of the biggest addictions in the world. People are killed every single day, not because they're chugging back alcohol, trying to drive in a car, because they're too damn busy looking at their phone. They kill somebody, right? Addiction to cigarettes. Now, I mean, it might be vapes. It might be whatever. Those still exist. People who can't see the parts, all these things still exist. The loss of faith still exists. Yep. So there's no reason to write this off. Now, critics panned it back then, whatever. I'm hoping some of you give this thing a chance and go check yeah. it out. Now, the Blu-ray, Dad and I watched the Blu-ray of this, crystal clean. There is no cleaner version you're going to find of this. Um, it will once in a while pop up on Sci-Fi Channel, sometimes during like the, the Halloween cycle, yeah. because it's an easy two-hour time slot fill, and there's no cuts. But this is not nearly on as much as it used to be, but it's available and you can find it. If you, again, if you want to go watch Dark Rooms, you got to go on archive.org, spend a few minutes, dig around, and you'll find them all, all straight through when you watch them there. And you might say, okay, these seem a little dated. Well, they should be. It's 1982. And now it's, you know, you know, all, you know, 40 years later. Um, but I, I'm telling you folks, I, I know dad and I try to, uh, go find movies for you. We try to find maybe something you haven't seen in a while. We try to find the new stuff too. I mean, we're, we're, we're always digging for new. The problem is the digging for new just gets your hands really dirty and doesn't find a lot of stuff worth showing, right? right. Um, but sometimes we can go back and dig up one of these movies. And again, even though this might not be your all-time favorite anthology, this has a spot on my shelf right next to Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and Dr. Terror's House of Horror. Dr. Terror's House is a good, it's, and it's, you know what? It's until the Blu-ray finally got re-released, it was an exclusive for forever and no one had ever seen it. But there's also like Tales of Madness. There's um, Asylum. There's all these other really good ones that were so lost because Tales from the Crypt, Amicus is Tales from the Crypt is the most famous one. I mean, that is, that is the, that is the bang on grandfather mall. But Vault of Horror kicks just as much, it kicks just as hard, but people didn't remember it. Now they're together in the two-disc right. set. If you enjoy anthologies, check this out. It's worth your time. It's 99 minutes. You've wasted 99 minutes doing worse things than this. Yeah. So, um, you know, folks, like I said, we, we try to give this to you. We, we wanted to wrap up the darkroom. That's why we kind of tied these all together. Hopefully you enjoyed our look at the darkroom. We are in dis- we're talking about maybe other series, but... Because the request has always been, why don't you guys cover all the cold checks? There are lots of cold check podcasts. There are people right. out there who have talked about cold check. Now we covered the night, night stalker, the movie, right? Cause the night stalker, the movie is, I mean, it's really good. I mean, that that's, you could tell why right. they made a series from it. Yeah. And I love cold check. Cold check is one of those things. If yeah. I'm like, if I'm feeling like crap, I will pop on cold check because I can watch cold check yeah. and 
It's Darren McGavin. I love Darren McGavin. Like just the way he is, like his smarminess and whatever, and his seersucker suit and whatever. It's because it's it's comfort food to me. Do I know exactly what's going to happen in every single one of them? Do I know exactly what's going to happen? Yes. But it's one of those things when you're kind of just like, I don't feel like doing anything today. I just don't want to do anything. I pop it on. I mean, some people put on Misty. I mean, I watch Shantari 3000 and stuff like that too. It's just comfort. Yeah. When, but, when, but how many Kolchak, you know, people have covered Kolchak to death. I'm not saying we couldn't talk about it, but yeah. I think we would do nothing. I don't know how much more we could bring no, to I, it I mean, that other people haven't already brought to it. I mean, it was, I guess it was a few months ago we actually – uh, we, we, I, I brought it up uh, because mom wanted to see, she wanted to see something. So I said, well, let's watch Kolchak. So oh, I like Darren McGavin. So we watched, we started watching him. And then by the fifth or sixth one, boy, these are pretty formulaic. Yeah, they are. I mean, he, even mom said, you know, is that all Simon Oakland ever does is scream and yell, yeah, scream right. and yell. And so I said, yeah, that's, um, that's what, so we stopped at about, and I think that some of the other ones, after we got through the Mayan mummy or what, I think that was yeah. the one we stopped at. That might've been seven or eight. I went and got the, uh, the Blu-ray of, um, the, the first two, the, the, well, the night stalker, the night, stalker, and the night strangler, the night strangler. and as, as you're watching that, the, at least they tie it in. He starts off. Well, the night stalker was, Chicago, yeah. And then he winds well, up in Vegas. Vegas. Right, he's in Vegas for the night stalker. Right. Then he has to get back. Yeah. yeah. And then, then they, you want now he wants to go to New York, and it doesn't it doesn't work right, out right. for him. But again, mom says, you know, they kept the same shtick, in, in, in all the. But she said at least, it's, I mean, they have the same actors. But the, Simon Oakland, she says. But here's the thing. He but here's the thing. The Night Stalker itself, when we talked about it when we covered oh, the episode, yeah. was such a hit. Yes. And they were like, we got to get this on TV, and people loved Darren McGavin. Kolchak, there are books, I mean, volumes of books that Jeff Rice wrote and other authors have since written about, all about the Kolchak, and it's all about Kolchak and all the different things he's done. There's so much out there that, it, it, I mean, if, you, if you're if you a Kolchak fan, and I, I'm part of groups of Kolchak fans, and stuff like that, people will, like, are so devoted to this because, yeah. because it's such comfort food. Like, some people like Star Trek. Not me. I don't. <laughs> I don't like any of it. None of it. Um, some of the newer movies aren't so bad, but most was ugh, right. But some people will watch an episode. I can't watch more than half an episode of Star Trek. I'm like, good lord, just turn it off because I know what's going to happen. Yeah, like yeah, wearing a guy red, wearing a red they're, shirt. They're going to die. Guess what, buddy? Like your best bet is get behind Spock. At you know, you, at least you got paid, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but but you know I'm saying, right. and some people will watch Star Trek over and over and over and over again. But and, and I'm like, they're formulaic, and they're like, you're not. I'm like, but they are. Yeah. Watch a bunch of Star Trek. They're formulaic. Yeah. I can't watch them. Oh no! The, the one thing about Star Trek, if you if you pick out, you know, the, there are certain the, episodes that are good because they are they are they are literally written, mm -hmm. and they make you think, and they they have the thematic elements in them that you can relate to in today's environment. Right. But but, but overall, no, how many of them are similar? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then now the ones that stand out as being unique, the ones that everyone remembers being the super unique ones for whatever reason, those are the ones that are just a little bit off Oof. of the normal formula. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've insulted Tron. I've insulted, I mean, everyone knows we can't stand Cleopatra around here, but I've, I've, ins I've insulted Star Trek. The, this might be the last episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes ever, Dad. This might be, you know, this might be the, the Kong 76 no, no, no. of it because people are going to be mad. And But you know what? I want them to be mad because if you're saying like, you know, okay, all I'm saying is when you look at it with a critical eye. Yeah. Put, I it. will say flat out, cold checks are cookie cuttered, but 
as someone who is not watching Kolchak every minute of every day, but when I need something, when I'm, when I'm feeling like, like if I get home from like a bad day of chemo yeah. and I pop on Kolchak, I could fall asleep yeah, watching Kolchak right. and he's, he's fighting a, a Mayan mummy and I wake up and wait, he's fighting a voodoo zombie. Right. Right. I'm okay with that. It's, it's okay to me because I know it's there. Yeah. And that's, that's what you, and then you love them like that. Yeah. Awesome. Then you should. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, that's the one thing about shows like that though, is that if you have a theme that you have to continue with one after the other week after week, you're going to run out of ideas. Yeah. And when you run out of ideas, you run out of you run out of scripts, and when right. you run out of scripts, you've got nothing. Yeah, and then things get real thin. And then you start trying to do whatever, yeah. and, um, then, and then a lot, then a lot of the slapstick starts to happen. Yeah, and right, or, happens, or or you get or you start getting really weird for no reason, like right. like a show that's super serious takes this crazy turn, yeah. and you're people and you lose your audience. But again, I'm not here. If you love that stuff, go and love it. That's what I'm saying is, but give this, give like something like Nightmares a chance. Go back and give those movies that are 40 years old. People think 80s. We were we were just watching. I, my my dad and I. I've seen. I have backed and helped pay for anything that in search of darkness. One, two, three. In search of tomorrow. One and two. In search of that last act, action hero. I have helped paid for every one of those things, and I will yeah. gladly do it every time. Because we were watching in search of darkness one, and you said, "Man, I remember." Like, oh, I forgot that movie. Like, like they're, they're, I mean, not even like you forgot Cujo, but like, yeah. and you forget how intense Cujo is. I haven't seen Cujo probably in a number of years. And that movie still is intense. We forget how intense it is or Christine or whatever, because they're 40 something years old and you're not on every day. You know, what's nice about watching those is that it gives us, Hey, we forgot that. Yeah. Go back. Let's Let's go back and and watch it. it, Right. Just, and and again, if, 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 if you've never seen any of the in search of darknesses, they're all on shutter. They are all available. They are long. I'm, I'm telling you now, this well, the first couple are four hours. Part three is almost five hours. Yeah. And it is the most definitive. I mean, all together, the, the whatever, 16 hours or 12, 13, 14 hours, whatever it is, they cover the 80s. They're now going to start doing the 90s. And I can't wait for that to start because I'm backing yeah. that too. I also back the aliens experience where they're going to go full into all the into aliens and stuff like that. That they're doing is they're giving you, if you are that kind of person, if you love movies. And that's, I think that's also, I think, one of the differences here. You and I and Luke and a lot of people who I associate with Chuck and John and and John LeMay and all these guys that we talk, right? We love movies. We love the the idea of the cinema. Like, I mean, I may not like going to the movie theater because I don't like people. Not anymore. No, but I don't like people, period. But like, I love the idea of watching a movie. I love when a movie can shock. I don't mean shock me like, oh, great. Like I needed to see like a tree rape somebody, you know, kind of thing. Like the first thing you see Evil Dead and you're like, what the, you know, right. But I love when a movie gives me some, I love when a director challenge you at times. And I mean, challenge you, not challenge you to sit through his movie like Hereditary. I mean, and there's another one. No one cares. Everyone hates that movie. Um, I'm saying challenges you to what's on the screen. Yeah. And you I, know, I think the, the, the best, the best times we have, is 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 I don't think it's the ones the movies that we remember, it's the it's the the gems that we find. Well, yeah, that, right. But you'll you, but there's no. movies I've seen one time that have stayed with me my whole life, right? Yeah. And they stay with you, yeah. and you're saying I may never need to watch that movie ever again. It impacted me so much that one time that I don't know if I want to watch it a second time and possibly ruin the what it gave to me. Yeah. Now, some people, and this came up, we covered Maniac. 
And some of the feeling about Maniac is that no one should ever watch that movie. It's disgusting and horrible and whatever. I have seen Maniac a half dozen to a dozen times. That movie starts, it never lets up, and then it slows down for a little bit just to let you kind of catch your breath. And then what happens? During catching your breath, it guts you in the gut and then goes again. And people are like, but that's not real cinema. I was like, it, it literally is designed that way. It's designed to make you not comfortable. You shouldn't be sitting there yeah. watching it saying, I love this. The perfect movie is, I don't think I've ever watched, I own Portrait Henry, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, I've watched it once all the way. Like, I mean, I saw it once and I watched it when I'm Blu-ray. I don't know if I could sit down and just watch that. Critically, I could. I'm not popping that on to just sit down and watch it. Right. Because that movie, yeah. and, now, and Michael Rucker's a very famous actor now, but yep. think about like the Tom Towles in there and stuff like that. At the time, those guys could have been real serial killers. Yeah. Like that movie pushes your buttons. It should push your buttons. It's not called Henry Porter, the guy drawn you know, stick figure. It's it's a serial killer. Yeah. It should push your buttons. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have. I agree with you 100%. I mean, there's a movie I I can't watch in it for one reason, and I'm not I'm not squeamish, and that's Hellraiser. The original. I, I cannot watch that movie. The original. Yeah, yeah. The original. I always found Hellbound to be so much more violent. That at times Hellbound, and I know some people love Hellbound Hellraiser more than like Hellraiser. Hellbound to me, it's because the violence is so amped, it's so mm-hmm. steep. At times, I don't think it's as effective as Hellraiser, the original. Yeah. The original Hellraiser is, a, is, right. is a, but and that movie is the ra- is it, and not to be on a point, it's a razor blade. That movie is skinning you as you go, and it's again hard to watch. I've, now I've seen Hellraiser a couple times, and actually, what I think what you actually might enjoy is Leviathan, the making of one and two together. Now it's like five six hours, but they talk about why they did what they did, mm-hmm. why things happen, why these things go, and you start understanding like why that movie affects people. Why is that movie, why can you still not make a decent sequel to Hellraiser? Because you can't get what they got. So anyway, folks, we are getting a little far afield. I know Um, that never happens here. Tangents, never. Um, Anyway, so uh, obviously folks, we moved around a number of things this this year. We moved some episodes here and there just to make things fit. And um, as of right now, I couldn't tell you what we're doing next because we actually just had to move things around. So dad and I don't know what's coming next. What I can guarantee you is this. The one thing I can guarantee you is this summer, the the August episode, the only thing I have on the books for sure is the August episode. And I am looking forward to this episode because my dad has never seen a Friday the 13th movie until I made him watch part one. And he loved part one because it's a murder mystery, right? Yep. Then you watch part two, you go, wow, it's pretty good. Because, hey, you know, it's now this new thing. Then we got to part three and you're like, okay, these 3D gimmicks or whatever, but there's still with some good things. We're going to talk about Friday the 13th part four, which, and anybody who is my age knows this, was when it came out, the quintessential slasher movie ever. Now, it is not my favorite. I am very, very uh, um, loud about the fact that part seven, the basic Jason versus Carrie is my absolute favorite of all time. And I love part six because I love me some zombie Jason, but actual human being Jason part four has got the, the, the killer effects, the Tom Savini's back. It's all the stuff. It is literally the movie that made French. I mean, I understand part one, two, and three, but if part four had not been part four, I don't know 
if horror franchises grow exponentially. The only other thing that I can say is that at some point, right, we're going to have to watch part five and part five is disappointing, but then we'll get the part six and then zombie Jason comes and that's the best thing ever. So I, the only, uh, the only thing I have, I have some other stuff, but I don't want to give that away because there's a little surprises for end of the year. The only one that is inked in on here is the unfortunately 39th anniversary, not 40th because it's came oh. out in 84, but it's part four because we've watched one, two, three. And I, I, I know my dad, you know, is like, okay, okay. But, and once you kind of understand what, and, and again, those of us who have seen Crystal Lake memories, the, the, the 10 hours of that, or, you know, and once you understand, like, obviously where those things are going and how important the slasher franchises became to growing money. They made so much money. That's the killer part. Yeah, I have. I don't have a problem with the, you know, with the, with the um, Friday the 13th. Um, but what I'm saying is, but number one was a murder mystery. But, but any of them, even, even, even the Freddy Krueger ones, the, the, the ones that I like the most of, of this type are the Saw movies. Because okay, that's not even the same thing. Dan. No, 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 no. But, no but way later. No, no, no. But I know it's it's way later. But those I can I can I I can enjoy for the creativity and what have you to have one killer continually, okay. and all they do is they find new ways. Okay, to, but here's the thing: there is no saw. There's no saw oh, no, without no. Friday the Thirteenth, oh, no, no, and know. there's no Friday the Thirteenth without right. Halloween, and there's no Halloween without Psycho. Right? No, and no, I agree. So no, I agree. The, the, the progression, the progression is there. Yeah, it's just my personal preference. Yeah. Oh, I, I understand that, but I'm saying so. So that's the only one I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you this: there are a few other titles I'm looking at that might be a little less gruesome um, that we might be covering this year, um, but. Uh, this is it for nightmares. Go back and check it out. It's well worth your time. Definitely. Spend that. Spend the ninety nine minutes. And then people find it on the. Uh, uh, on, so on, on I'm not streaming. sure. I it's, it is available somewhere on streaming. I'm. I mean, I own it on Blu-ray. I don't know if it's on Prime right now. Okay. It's not. It might be on Tubi. Like I. Don't, I don't. I don't know because I pulled the Blu-ray and said, "Let's watch this thing." Mm -hmm. Right. So go check it out. Um, again, if you want to see dark rooms, go on to archive.org. Look up. Um, um, James Colburn's The Dark, Dark Room, Room, and you will find it. Just got to do a little digging. Um, let us know. Hey, write in. I'm sure someone's going to be mad that I, I badmouth Tron and Star Trek in the same episode, but it's okay. It's okay. They they now have a spot next to Cleopatra. You can well, you can be very happy. It's next to Cleopatra, another movie that I have bashed over and over again. Hey, tell you the truth. I mean, well, I've said this many times. The first half of Cleopatra yes, is really great. Really great. Then the second half. Then they made the second part. Really yeah. <laughs> And it happens. So, all right, folks. So like we say around here, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti, and search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Jacknetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?